You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, you are listening to episode 230 of the Blended Family Podcast. Thank you for being here today. I've got an awesome interview for you. And actually, I'm going to have a lot of interviews coming up that are going to be dealing with children and teenage-related stuff because I know that right now things are a little bit crazy and with COVID especially, as much as it's affecting all of us in such a great way, I think sometimes we forget to realize how much it's affecting our children. So today's show, I've got a great children's mentor or a mentor for teenagers, I should say, on the show. And you're really going to enjoy, I think, the conversation with him. But in the meantime, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute about what is going on with our kids? I don't know how you guys have been doing. I know I, we had a rough week over here for many, many different reasons. That's why you hear my nice soothing music in the background. I leave that on when I don't feel calm and it calms me down. But anyway, um, I think we all can agree that this COVID thing has really done a number on all of us. And our kids don't, well, they don't have, I think, enough on their plate right now. And again, I know that I'm making a blanket statement here and everybody is in a different situation. So I can just speak for myself and for what I see. But just looking at what's going on in general is that the kids had no school for a while. And although they were doing online school, there were very varying responses on the way that was dealt with and handled. And even the workload was just completely different from from person to person, really. So a lot of kids found that they had too much time. They, a lot of them aren't working right now. Um, I don't know about anyone else's areas. In my area, uh, all four of my kids do not have a job right now, and they are having trouble. Yet there are signs everywhere that people are hiring, but it is very difficult to get a job because a lot of businesses don't want to hire right now or aren't really sure what's going to happen as the numbers change and they don't know if they're going to close down again. So... The kids don't have jobs, they don't have school, especially now being the summer anyway, and there's not enough structure. And this is no fault of us parents, this is just what we've been handed, right? But it's hard to have structure when it's just chaotic in our world to begin with, and on top of that, us parents are trying to still work, many of us, and make a living and provide for our kids, and do that in a way that's looking completely different than what we're used to. And it's very, very difficult. And it's hard to put structure on kids when there's really no structure in the world right now. The other problem, too much technology. And again, no fault of us parents. It's just, you know, I think that if we grew up in the world that they're growing up in, we probably would have been doing the same things. We would have been on the social media, which I despise because of everything that it's done to our children. But Social media and technology has kind of been a ruin for them, I feel. I feel it didn't need to be that way, and it still doesn't. But I feel that's what it turns into because I see what's happening online. That's why I kind of, I'm not on there that much, but 
It's very, very hard, especially with teenagers, right? They have their cell phones. Even if you take the phone away, they're going to figure out how to do it. So not necessarily, I'm not providing a solution here. I'm just saying that that's definitely one of the problems, right? That's one of the things to look at right now. And then, of course, no responsibilities. And again, if you're a family that gives your children chores and responsibilities, kudos to you. I think that it's great. I just think that it's a little bit more difficult to have the structure already when you're in a blended family situation, it's hard for us to have the structure with the chores and the things when the kids are being schlepped back and forth. I understand it's very difficult to have consistency. I know that it was for our family. And so what happens is, you know, they grow up like that. And then now when this time happens, well, it's very hard to put any kind of responsibilities because again, the world looks like chaos. If it looks like chaos to us adults, imagine what it might look like or feel like to these kids. You know, I have to be honest. I wouldn't want to be a child in today's world. These are some hard times. And they're hard times for all of us. But for the kids, no way would I want to be going through, living through these times as a young person. So I just think we all need to remember that it is hard for them too. Um, and that's not to make excuses for them because believe me, I'm not the easiest on my children, but I just think that these are some hard times and I think that we need to make concessions for one another and really try to help one another through this. I know we're trying to help our children through this process and we're definitely being met with some pushback, but these, these are just tough, uncertain times. So I, again, I think you'll enjoy this interview today with Michael. And like I said, I have several more interviews lined up that are going to be able to help us expert interviews that are going to be help us with understanding our children and helping them understand what's happening and just helping us all get through the next few months. Because I have to be honest, I feel like things are going to get more crazy up until the time of the election. That's just my prediction. And emotions are running high and it's just it's just a little scary right now. So I love you all so much. I really, really do. Um, in the meantime, I, I'm going to throw on this interview right now, but in the meantime, please rate and review the show and share with a friend that you think could use the help because it's hard having a blended family and I really truly from the bottom of my heart. I just want to help as many people as I can get through this process and get through it intact and with some kind of peace in their heart. So, and also feel free to send me some feedback, Melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. All of the links are always in the show notes for you. Please enjoy your week, everybody. Enjoy this interview and I'll see you next week. Love you. Michael Arterberry is a dynamic motivational speaker who with his captivating and empowering style will leave people with the aspiration and inspiration to be better. As a teenager, Michael was fortunate to receive guidance from positive adult role models who helped him overcome adversities and set high expectations for his future. Grateful for the role these mentors played in his own development, Michael decided to dedicate his professional life to helping people navigate the difficulties of life and launch their future into motion. Michael also received the 2010 USA Network 
Characters Unite Award for exceptional commitment to combating prejudice and discrimination while increasing tolerance and acceptance within the community. He's also the recipient of the 2014 100 Men of Color Award for Leadership in Education, Government, Mentorship, Entrepreneurial Success, and Community Service. And most recently, he was awarded the Educator of the Year Award from YCOP, the Youth Community Outreach Program in Mount Vernon. Michael, welcome to the show. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, Melissa. So, so happy to have you here today. And we obviously have a lot to talk about, but let's just start with your personal story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Obviously you have a youth story, so we wanna hear about it. Okay, so for me to tell my story, I want to tell you a story, and then it's going to unravel my story. So the story starts out about a, a, a donkey and a farmer. And this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals because once he finishes working with the donkey on the fields, he brings the donkey back to his home, and he allows the donkey to play with his kids. So when he comes back from working on a farm, the kids come out, they play with him, they wash him, they ride him. And then once it's finished in the evening, he releases the donkey back out into the fields and he goes in and goes to bed. One night he does this regular routine, but the next morning when he comes out and he calls his donkey, the donkey doesn't come. So when a donkey doesn't come, he's of course, he's worried. So he's walking around the farm and he's calling his name. He finally hears him making noise at the bottom of a, a uh, empty water well. And when he gets over to the well, he looks down into the well, and of course he wants to get him out. So he goes and gets six of his friends. They come over to the well, they look in the well, and they're like, how are we gonna get him out? So one of his friends suggested that they get some rope and pull him out. So they all get some rope. They start throwing the rope down to the donkey. They throw it, they miss, they throw it, they miss. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body and they start pulling. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower him back down to the bottom of the well. And now that farmer has to make a grim decision. Now see, the farmer can't feed him food at the bottom of the well that's for his family because that wouldn't make any sense. The farmer didn't really want to starve him because like I said, it's kind of like his pet. So that didn't really settle with his spirit as well. Then one of his hot-headed friends was like, hey, just shoot him. Farmer's like, no, that's too violent. One of his more reasonable friends said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna cover him with dirt. You're gonna have to sacrifice your donkey, but your kids won't fall into the well. And a farmer could deal with that. So they all got shovels and they started shoveling dirt into the well. And every time that dirt would hit the donkey, he would scream. So you got the dirt, donkey screams, dirt, donkey screams. Then all of a sudden the screams stopped. When the screams stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence, but then they went back to work. They kept shoveling, shoveling, shoveling. And then the next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. So they keep shoveling faster. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's half his body. They keep shoveling and shoveling. And the next thing you know, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So check this out, Melissa. I'm gonna tell you how he saved himself. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would shake it off. 
and he would step on it. And he took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. So when you ask me, what is it about my story? I grew up in a home with a raging alcoholic father. And I say raging because it's not like just having an alcoholic dad that had a few beers. My father came in the house and he kicked butt for 16 years of my life. He died when I was 16. But to put that in a young person's brain, I've never, I never had a day that I never went through where I did not think about what my night was going to be like. You know, I remember being in kindergarten and actually like playing with blocks. I remember this. And I'm looking at the other kids and I'm saying to myself, wow, they look so peaceful. But do they go home to the same thing that I go home to? Along with an alcoholic dad, I lived in poverty. So what happened was, is both my parents worked full time. If they both brought their salaries in the home, we would have been okay. But my dad spent his money in the streets with the drinking. So my mother raised four kids. She cleaned houses. She was a housekeeper. So she raised four kids with a housekeeping salary. So as far as us having money, there wasn't much money there. Along with not having much money, dysfunction, capital D, and then my neighborhood was crazy. The guys that I grew up with, unfortunately, because of the environment we were in, they were survivors. So they were drug dealers. Um, they used drugs themselves. A lot of the guys that grew up with me either at this point are dead or in prison. And so these are just some tidbits of my dirt. I could probably talk to you for like another day and a half if I gave it all to you. But this is just a little bit of a piece of this little boy. And what I did as I, I, I grew up is I cataloged all this stuff, not knowing that I was doing that. But I was able to, as an adult, take all those things, my dirt, like the dirt and the donkey, and I put it together and I use it to motivate other people and I find enjoyment at being able to get people or allow people to, to shake their dirt and, and be able to walk in a successful way in their life. Oh, well, that was unbelievable. I tell you what, I got chills when you told the story. Um, what a great analogy. Absolutely unbelievable story. And of course, unbelievable story for you. How I, I love when people can use the pain in their life and turn it into something amazing, which is what you've done. But I just love the story. Um, and that really brings us to a little bit more about you and what you do, because for the listeners, you don't really even know why we're here today. Well, what Michael has dedicated his life to is helping youth, helping young adults, our preteens and our teens in life. And what an amazing person to learn from is somebody that has actually been through some of the worst traumatic things that any child could ever have to go to. And Michael, I'm so sorry for your past. That was obviously very, very traumatic, but I'm so thankful that you turned it into something useful. So let's talk now about how you help our youth and our preteens and our teens, because I know that is what you've dedicated your life to. So tell us exactly what do you do? I know you get into the schools. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so what, I, what I've done is I went to school for social work. And uh, when I first got out of school, um, one of my, my first jobs is I worked at a foster care agency and I worked with kids that were in the, the social system. And when I worked 
for the nonprofit, they would always give me curriculums. And when the curriculums wouldn't work, they would, you know, yell at me and be upset. And I would be like, well, you bought it. You know what I'm saying? So I said, you know what, I'm going to fix it. And what I decided to do, Melissa, is I created my own curriculum. And so I, I took my life experiences, um, different programs that I may have gone through, um, and I put together my own curriculum, which I call Power of Peace. And what it is, is it's four days, but the initial two days, um, I come into a school, you got to imagine, imagine you're a principal. When I come to you, what I ask for is 25 to 30 students, but I want them to be representative of what's in your building. So I want white, black, Latino, honor roll, jock, struggling student. And what I do is I put those 25 to 30 kids in a room. All right. We do everything in a circle and I run them through a two day experience where they get the opportunity to get to know themselves on an individual level, but in the process of making or, or getting to the point of knowing themselves, they build community with kids that they normally would never even speak to if they weren't in a room. And what happens throughout this process is what I do and my goal is to, I, I start with my donkey story. That's, that's whenever I do my public speaking or my groups, I always start with the donkey story. But then what I do with the teenagers and even in my speaking engagements, because I usually have um, a PowerPoint or a screen set, set up for it is I show the home that I grew up in. And if you see it on a picture, you would think it was condemned, even though I lived there. And then I talk about how it feels to live in that house. But then I show a picture of the raised ranch that I live in now. And so the teenagers get to see that I, I started one place and then I went to another place. But I do that to disarm them. But what I want them to do is I want them to go back through their lives because what happened, and this is not just teenagers, it's, it's adults as well, is that as we go through life, because we all have dirt, you know what I mean? But we go through life and we step on landmines in the process of living and we, 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 we get some damage, but not knowing we have damage and then those damages that you, you, you get through the process become the catalyst to the way you make decisions. And so by me walking the young people back through their lives, they get a fresh perspective on why they made that decision and that decision. And what I do in that two-day period is I allow them to, to self-reflect to gain balance. And I like to sometimes say that, you know, that they get traction because their life is not so much a mystery. It has some, some meaning to it. Wow. That's pretty incredible. And I really appreciate that. I mean, I know it's for adults too, and I also appreciate that. But uh, today we're talking a little bit more about our teenagers, especially right now because of what's going on in the world. And I want the listeners to understand that even if Maybe you feel like your home is great and maybe you don't have that kind of adversity that Michael grew up in. It really doesn't matter because in the eyes of your children, what they're going through and you may not see, right? You may not see all the pain and the things that they're going through. And especially with blended families, 
this is very challenging for children to live through. And a lot of parents don't even understand that. You know, we, we make our decisions and our choices in life and who we want to be with and, and who we want to marry and where we want to live. And we don't always consult our kids. Not that we need to always, but we don't always understand how they are internalizing things and how they're affected by things. And then of course, there's the other side of the coin that some children are growing up in Michael's situation or in different situations like that. Poverty, abuse, drugs, there's all kinds of things going on right now. And our kids need help, but yet they're getting ignored in a lot of ways. It's nobody's fault. It's just a very, very chaotic life right now. And Michael, I'm so glad you're coming on the show right now because we are in this universal pause right now. And a lot of kids are home. I know my teen, I have four teenagers here and we have not been as worried or, you know, you know how it is when the kids are out driving and they're going to this party and they're hanging out with these people. You're always worried, like, what's going to happen and how are they? And, and now, like, that everybody's been home, we've been a lot calmer as parents. And so this is a really good time to be able to look at your family, look at your children, see what's going on. Uh, Michael, I want to talk about COVID a little bit. I know uh, it's not making this show evergreen, but of course, we're going to talk about other things. But COVID is what's happening right now. So in your line of work, have you seen this taking a toll on teenagers? Because the biggest thing I notice is that teenagers are having a very hard time just as much as parents um, because they're not seeing their friends. They're not in their normal routine and everything is kind of turned upside down. So what can you say to help our teens right now dealing with this situation? You know, what, what I could say is, is they have to, and some may be able to do this on their own. And like, like you say, you know, the, the, the show, the podcast show, this is for some advice for some of the parents is uh, self-reflection. And I think that when you self-reflect, and especially because we have been put on pause, not because we want to, but it is, it is what it is. And self-reflection is, is, is powerful because when you get a strong sense of self and you understand your gifts, but not not, not only your gifts, but your weaknesses, um, it gives you the power to not feel as if you have to get your value from other people. Um, and with teenagers, I try to drive at home that, and I, 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 I have a daughter that's 16 and I'm, I'm on it constantly, that I want you to feel important alone and your friends and your outside relationships are only icing on the cake. So, you know, during this time, I, I, I would tell the young people to reflect. Um, I actually have an activity that I do in my groups that I do a little bit better if I was actually interacting with them. But I call it Who Am I? And what I do is I have the teenagers write down on 10 separate pieces of paper, one word, that describes themselves, um, uh, positive or negative, one word, um, be totally honest, no one will see it obviously but you. Once you write the 10 words, then stack them in priority order from least important to most important. And then what I would normally do in my group is I run them through a script to how each word affects them in their lives 
but of course I'm going to be there for your teens. But as they flip each word, I want them to think about how that word affects them in their daily life. life. And then if they want to keep the word, keep it. If they don't want to keep it, crumble it up and throw it on the side. Once they get through all 10 papers, then they go back, unravel them, keep the ones they want, the ones that they don't want, keep them crumbled up, and then use that as a gauge of how to filter and stop focusing and put an energy in a proper place to um, gain more traction and success. Wow. Yeah, that's a great exercise. Um, really, really good. I imagine that this is going to probably change their lives forever in some ways. I mean, there's kids that aren't able to have a graduation or have a prom and, and some of these really big milestones in their lives, they're not able to do. So how as parents, can we help them rectify that? How do we make them feel okay? Even though as adults, we know like it, the whole world's not going to come to an end, right? If they miss the prom, but to them, this is everything. So how do we help them get through missing some of these big events in their life? You know, I think it, it, unfortunately, we didn't get the memo that this was coming, so we couldn't prepare ourselves (laughs) as parents. Because I'm about to drop something where, you know, kind of if you were doing your job semi-correctly, this crisis shouldn't really rattle the cage too bad. And I'm saying that because what I find is important as parents is to say Stay in tune with your team the best that you can. Now, when I say, 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 stay in tune, don't overstep your boundaries where you suffocate them. But I'm constantly trying to stay in rhythm with my, my, my children so that anytime they are out of rhythm, I can pick up on it. And either I can, if it's a slight, miss of the beat, I can casually address it. But if it's totally out of rhythm, I can sit them down and really, really get into whatever it is. So what it is, is to kind of try to quiet, quiet your space as the parent and try to connect with your teen on a deeper level. And sometimes it's not done through verbal communication. You know, I think that a lot of times you're able to, you know, a person can tell you things from their facial expressions um, right to their their mannerisms or how they walk or carry themselves. So I think during this time where you're forced to to be more focused, um, try to get some of those messages that they can deliver to you that can be somewhat subliminal. Yeah, that's great. And then the thing I'd like to add to that, you know, is as parents, I know this is hard and I know that we're all feeling very, very stressed for different reasons. Everybody's going through a little bit of a different situation, but they really are watching us and they're almost mirroring our reaction to it. And so I noticed in my own home, uh, we try to keep the fear and panic away from the kids. If we have a moment, we do it away from them uh, because we're trying to 
act like we have this all under control. And the more we act like that, the more we notice our kids aren't stressed either. And they kind of go more with the flow. So try to pay attention to your own behaviors and what you're doing as a parent. And I know that that's hard and we are not here to judge you. We're just trying to help you um, with your teenagers because it's really important. I don't know about you, Michael, do you have kids? I didn't even ask you that. How many do you have? I have a 16 year old daughter and a 12 year old son. Okay, so you probably noticed this, as I've noticed as my kids get older, I've noticed some of the behaviors that they have are my behaviors or their dad's behaviors or their, even their stepdad's behaviors. Or, so it's, it's very interesting how what we do and the way that we act really does trickle down to them. And so, um, again, not to put pressure or judgment on you, just to say that we really do need to pay attention to what we're doing and how we're acting. Um, I want to yes. pivot a little bit, uh, you know, away from COVID because we've been talking a lot of COVID lately, but I wanted mm-hmm. to talk to you on a little bit more of a personal level because Michael, so many of my listeners, um, have children that are dealing with, actually just did a show on parental alienation and a lot of kids in the blended family situation are being abused, maybe not on both sides. Maybe there's one side, maybe there was a divorce because of an abusive parent um, or there continues to be abuse on one of the households. And what I want to know is if you are a parent, the non-abusive parents, right? And your ex is the abuser. How do we help our kids? And I'm asking you because you, you lived through it. And you probably know better what would really have helped you at the time if you had a parent standing in your corner, um, which I, it sounds like your mom was, but she just really had her hands full. What can we right. do to help our kids that are being abused? What do they need from us? What they need, and it's major, is they have to be able to unpack what has happened to them properly. So, um, you know, counseling, definitely. And within the counseling to be involved in it, because what happens with counseling, and I love it when it's family counseling, so everybody kind of can can take their responsibility in the healing. But when we go through tragic things in our lives and we start to walk through them, and it's what I do with the young people when they come to the program is you have to take each situation, twist, turn, almost like you're looking at an object and find the proper perspective. So if the young person has been abused, let's get kind of to the root of what happened, but then helping them walk through it so that they don't feel as if the abuse was caused by something they did, but explaining to them that there's so many other dynamics that comes with the abuse because as a teenager and as people, it's easy to simplify it and just put a blanket definition on it, but we have to be very careful of how we unpack things. So I would I would say walk that thing through with them, having them understand that you are available and that you're empathetic to it. And also when you see behaviors that are connected to what has happened with the abuse, be very cautious not to um, discipline them when you notice that it may be a reaction or a byproduct of what they went through um, and being not, not easy, but more empathetic 
to um, what they've uh, had to endure. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think it's really important when it comes to abuse to make sure that we see what's going on. And, and again, understand that kids do internalize these things and they could potentially be putting the blame on themselves. And that's definitely what we don't want. And that can cause all kinds of problems later on. So thank you for that. Um, and we'll talk about parenting a little bit too. Let's talk about that because when it comes to the way we parent our kids, um, I know you've said a lot of times we parent the way that we were parented. Of course, we learn by example, just like our kids are learning from us. And so what happens when, like you, for instance, you weren't parented in the best way. So how as a parent were you able to turn that around? How can we make sure that we're not parenting the way that we were parented? Of course, unless it was a good way, but right. um, you know, how, how can we, what can we do about that, Michael? You know, listen, um, what I did and, and, you know, some of, you know, for, for, for your listeners that are parents and it, like it's after the fact, you know, I, I never feel like there's always a time to make change. We can always make change. So I'm going to say what I did proactively is my goal in life was not only with my children, but my life in general is I wanted to break the cycle. So I deliberately grew up and went through my life and I made sure that anything that was consistent with what I came through growing up, I made sure that I distanced myself from it. So with my parenting, um, you know, I was able to, or any time I saw that I may be going in the direction that is familiar or something that I've seen before, you know, I would correct it. So it's not like a magic trick but I'm very conscious of it. Um, and everyone can pick up on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always laugh. My wife and I, we, uh, you know, we go back and forth. But she has, her, like, we all have our quirks. So there's things that she does that I know after meeting her mom, my mother-in-law, that are byproducts of what she grew up in. You know, and some are, you know, all right. And there's some, you know, we, you know, we, they're not, you know, they're not bad, but they could be corrected. Um, so I think as individuals, we have to be honest with ourselves. And whenever we see it, you know, sometimes it's easy to just say, ah, whatever, where, you know, ch change, people hate change. But if you can stop and make a change. And if I'm telling this to somebody after the fact, the best way you can pull your children in is, is to let them know that you're human. See, when we walk around and, and we, we make our kids think that we're these superheroes, then it puts you in a position that you feel like you have to toe that line. Whereas with my kids, I let them know. I let them know. Listen, I am not perfect. I've made major mistakes in my life and I will make mistakes with you. But whenever I make a mistake, I identify it and I let them know because that transparency allows them to see that, you know, we're not perfect individuals. And I even leave the door open, not that there's a debate because you don't want your kids walking around debating you on your parenting, but I leave some room 
so that my kids can verbalize and communicate with me when they feel that I may be leaning in too hard or, you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, my advice would be is, is breaking cycles. When you see that your, your home is similar to what you came from and it was uh, toxic, um, you have the power to change it. You don't have to repeat it. That's great. And so what would you say to those parents that say, I'm giving the best possible home I can over here and it's wonderful, but my ex's house is another story and I have to send my child there for visitation. What can you say to those parents? Well, again, this, this goes back to the unpacking. So what, what you can't say, and, and you and I both know this, is you don't, wanna, you don't want to say bad things about the parent that's not doing it correctly because you want to turn them against the step-parent or, I mean, the, the other parent. But what you want to do is when you see the things that are dysfunctional, you j- just explain it. You explain it. You know, a lot of times we feel as if sitting down and talking to our teenagers, especially when you get into the verbal communication of it, like rather than sitting down and actually talking about it, it's almost easier to pretend like we didn't see it and then just continue to manage. And that's not the case. So when they go to the the other parents' home and they're witnessing these things, those are the things that you debrief once you come back. And it doesn't have to be grilling, you know what I mean? Or make it, it, compare it. You know, well, dad did this. You see how dad did this? You know, I'm not going to pass judgment on dad, but dad did it this way. This is how we do it here at our home. Why why don't you just tell me, what do you think would be the best way to do it? And sometimes, you know, especially with teenagers, if they're able to come to the conclusion on their own, they don't feel like you're forcing them, you're not pushing yourselves on them. They think that they actually brought the thought to their mind on their own. So what I would do is is to stay in there and make sure that you're constantly communicating so that there isn't those gray areas, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always good for to allow a child to kind of understand with their own eyes uh, by gently explaining things to them that are, like you said, not judgmental. We're not ever wanting to pass judgment on another parent, but it is okay to have that element of honesty, especially as the kids get older. Believe me, they understand more than you think. And they also know when you're lying and they know when you're not being sincere. And so the best thing to do is just 100% brutal honesty, age appropriate, of course, um, and and having that consideration to not, you know, force parental alienation, right? We don't want to say anything bad about the other parent, but we can be honest. So that's a great answer. I think it's super, super important. And let me just stop really quickly and say, if there's any element of abuse going on where your child is is really getting hurt, you need to, I mean, there's nothing that I can do there to help you uh, with the law. You have to do something within your own city and state with a judge um, and do something to modify your arrangement or whatever you need to do to get your child out of harm's way. I just want to say that uh, we're not talking about uh, what Michael went through is obviously very, very traumatic. And we want to avoid that at all costs if we can. But when I'm talking about other elements of abuse, there's some that go by unnoticed, like with parental alienation. When a parent is just saying verbal things, that is also abuse. And that's what kind of um, we're alluding to 
here because obviously you're not going to have your child come home with a black eye and not do anything about it. Um, we're talking about some other things here and there's all kinds of things that are going on. So the main thing is just be aware of what's going on in your child's life. And if you have open communication, that is the best way. Um, Michael, if you have a child who, because I, I love everything that you're about, really about getting in there and communicating with your kids. What about those teenagers that that don't communicate, that kind of are more shut off, that don't want to talk to you, so you really can't figure out what's quite bothering them. Do you have any advice for to get into the mind of a closed-off teen? Is 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 um, and and it can be difficult. Um, is finding some commonality somewhere. I mean, it, it, a, a nugget, a jewel, but something in a place where you both can intersect and connect. Um, and so what I do when I have young people in my groups that are, are resistant, um, I, I purposely, I call myself going after it. And so what I do is I almost, it's almost like just volley. I just, I'll throw something, see if it sticks. I'll throw something, see if it sticks. I throw something, see if it, see if it sticks. You can throw something, it doesn't stick but you see you kind of tickled them a little bit. And what happens is even the ones that are closed off, they, there's a place where they go where they find some comfort. Um, and so if you can navigate and get to that place where there's that enjoyment, um, sometimes that helps, helps you to break down barriers. So when I get a resistant teen and I finally throw, 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 and then I get something that sticks, I'm like, wow, okay, this is a place where we can meet. And then I start to, you know, like if it's a resistant teen and let's just use um, music as an example. And I've, I found that after I threw, uh, threw things at them, I realized that music was something that moves them. So my next move is what kind of music is it? Then I get the kind of music. And then I, I kind of play dumb or even research and find different groups or artists that are like that. And I'll call them over and be like, hey, Johnny, come here. Look what I just found on YouTube. This is so-and-so. And I'll play the video. And it will be amazing. It's amazing to watch them now react because they're no longer not communicating with you. They're talking about this thing that they're really interested in. And it's funny when they lose themselves in the conversation and then they're, they're like, oh, wow, I'm not really supposed to be talking. You know, I'm, I'm closed off. So, you know, you, you, you have to be really creative, but you know, a teenager that's closed off um, what you never do. And I'll tell you this and I'll, you know, leave it at that. What you never do is just say, you know what, I'll leave them and they'll come around when they're ready to come around. Do not, do not, do not do that. You know what I'm saying? Because again, when you talk about communication or nonverbal communication, um, even when a young person doesn't speak to you, that does not mean they don't want you around them, talk to them or bother them. So never take that as a signal of, you know what, I'm going to let you do whatever you want to do. And when you feel like coming around, coming around, no, one of us has to be the adult and that has to be the parent. Wow, that's a great answer. I love everything that you said there. I do think it's very important to 
learn and understand our kids and find the commonality. And that's really hard to do, especially if you have a teenager that pushes back. And I love also that you said, don't, don't just let it go. Because a lot of times with frustrated parents, we finally can't get anything out of them. And we finally say, fine, forget it. You just come and come to me. Like you said, come to me when you're ready. And sometimes that never happens. And so I love what you said about trying to just throw something and see what sticks, find something that does make them light up a little bit. You've talked before about how to be the driver of your car. And I'd like to for you to explain what does that mean exactly and how that relates to parents and teenagers, how to be the driver of your own car. Okay, so what I mean by being the driver of your car, um, it starts it starts with affirmation, all right? And what I mean by that is what we need to understand as individuals is that we struggle in human nature, we struggle with uh, affirming ourselves. So our, our mind fights us with having positive thoughts, but then we have other people that may not help us. And other people that may not help us are our peers. Um, it can be family members, um, parents, you know, whatever the case may be. And what I teach is that if you allow your negative thoughts and the thoughts that other people project on you. And not only that, or something you may have gone through in your life that could have been traumatic, um, control you, then you become the passenger of your car and not the driver of your car. And so what I want people to understand is that you have the power and the control to be able to take back what I consider your keys. So real quick to give you an example, you know, when my, my daughter was four, she came down, um, my, my wife brought her down to where I was watching my football game and she came, she sat on my lap, I played with her and then I put her down. She went back to my wife and at, right before they went upstairs to go to bed, I said, good night, beautiful. Now, when I said good night, beautiful, she looks at my wife, she's smiling, she starts dancing, and she says, Mommy, did you hear what he just called me? He called me beautiful. And when she said that, I'm watching her now. I, I run my program, so when I said that, a lightning bolt like struck me, and I said, what if I said goodnight ugly? Or what about when she came downstairs? I said, you know what? Then I tell you about bringing her downstairs. I'm watching football. I'm focused on my football. Don't you bring her downstairs when I'm watching football? And Imagine that becomes her and I's relationship. Constant turmoil, constant yelling, me not affirming her beauty. And then imagine her sitting in like a high school classroom. And then when you see her, a girl that's been through this, she's dark, low self-esteem. She really doesn't have any friends. She has poor relationships with boys because of the fact that I'm a representation of what boys are, you know? And when you think about her being like that and you ask yourself the question, who's driving a car? The person that's driving a car is me. And what's crazy about it is I will drive her car. Check this out, Melissa. She can get married and have a husband and I'm still driving a car. She can get married, have a husband and kids, and I'm still driving a car. And I will drive her car until she takes back her keys. 
And what I mean by taking back your keys is you have to identify the fact that your keys were taken. And that's part of the self-reflection. And so, you know, in my groups, I take you to a place to have you evaluate who has your keys. But for your listeners, they have to really stop and really do the self-reflection and say to themselves, are there things that were told to me? Is there something that I may have gone through that has the keys to my car and it has taken over control over most or the majority of the things that I decide and go after in my life. That is amazing because as I hear you talking about that, obviously by keys, you mean power, taking back our power or who do we give our power away to? But I love how you simplify everything and you put it into an analogy that, that, Anybody can understand, especially our teenagers. That's just, I mean, I got it. When you said that about her even becoming a woman and still allowing her dad to drive her car, I mean, that is powerful. And many of us are allowing our moms to drive our car. There's a lot of people that have been abused by their moms. I mean, this is just, and it could be anybody. It could be a friend. It could be a teacher. It could be anybody that takes that power away. And so I love what you just said. That is true gold right there, Michael. That's amazing. I want to know how can people find you if they want more support because you really, you really are incredible. Where can people go to find you? Um, they can find me on my, so I have a website along with the working with the teenager. I'm, I'm a motivational speaker. So my platform for the motivational speaking is um, they can go to michaelarterberry.com and that's my uh, motivational speaking website. Um, to get more information about this youth program, Power of Peace, um, I created my own nonprofit organization. So along with the program, I have my own nonprofit. And that website is youthvoicescenter.org. Um, and if they go to that website, I, I advise them, it's a, uh, you can click on a video um, where it says, see the program in action. So if you hear this podcast, you listen to all the things that I talked about and you watch the video, it, it will bring all of those things totally, totally like in full circle. So um, visit that website. Um, of course, my, my, my social medias, um, uh, Facebook, Michael Arterberry, the way you spell my last name, and I, I know you'll put them in the notes, but um, A-R-T-E-R-B-E-R-R-Y, Michael um, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, and then one thing we didn't talk about real quick before we finish is that I've put together during this, uh, this, this lockdown, um, uh, online course. It's an 11 week online course that I've titled shake the dirt experience. So back to the donkey. Um, it's an 11 week course where you, you come on, Um, You'll be on with uh, 19 other participants. And what I do is I've been able to take the information that I do with my groups in person, and I'm able to do it um, on either a Zoom or Squadcast call and allow you to walk back through your life, um, do some of these things that we've talked about over the podcast, and start to, to navigate and create plans moving forward that are strategic on some of the damage that may have happened in your life, in your life. Um, once Corona, uh, 19 lifts, I'm going to be doing, um, in, in person conferences. 
So the interactive experience will be brought to your town um, and I'll start having people come and we're going to do it live. Two days where you get to come and we get to do it in person rather than over over the internet. Um, I also wrote a book uh, which is called Be Encouraged, 250 Days of Inspiration and Motivation. And what's beautiful about having me on the podcast is if you buy the book and you remember my voice and my energy, you'll read a page and you'll be like, wow, I remember that guy. And so my book is a devotional style book. You open a page, you read a page for the day, um, and it's a compilation of all the different things that I was able to overcome. And so you read it for some motivation um, and inspiration as well. Um, you can get that at Amazon. And my wife wrote a book on my life story. Um, I had a spinal cord injury, which would be another whole podcast <laughs> story that I over. Yeah, yeah, I overcame it. Um, you know, you know, when you talk about dirt and shaking your dirt, Melissa, you know, what people have to understand is you, you, you accumulate it your whole life. So you're, you'll be shaking dirt right up to the time that you're buried in dirt, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know, I've been able to shake that and it, it, that book is titled God was holding, um, my hand. You know, I had a really, um, spiritual, spiritual experience, not to take away from the punchline of it, but um, just real quick, um, it, it, in the book, the title came from the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much into my faith. And, um, you know, I knew that God I was a personal God, but after my surgery, um, I'm sitting in my recovery bed and my right palm is burning. Now, I had surgery, which dealt with my lower extremities, had nothing to do with my upper body. So my right palm kept burning and I kept asking the nurse, like, listen, listen, I was happy because I was like, they fixed something. And she's like, mister, listen, we didn't do anything to your upper body. And so, Melissa, I come home and I'm on my couch and it hit me. And I mean, I, I started crying like a baby on the right side where my hand was and I just got chills, was a chair. Mm. God was sitting in that room, Melissa, and he was holding my hand. He stopped in his, what we call busy life, and he held his son's hand. So, you know, my wife was able to take my words. I, I, I spoke it and she penned it before I, you know, ended up writing my own book. Um, but that book is called God Was Holding My Hand. Wow. Well, then I got chills from that story too. Thank you for sharing that. And for the listeners, I will put all of the links that Michael is talking about in the show notes for you, because obviously that's a lot to write down. So uh, just check back in the show notes if you need to get back to that. Michael, before we go today, uh, this is, by the way, you are a true inspiration and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story as well as helping us with our kids and with our own life um, because the stories that you told can help us too. But what I'd like to ask you last is what is the message that you'd like to leave my listeners with, whether it's for them or for their teenagers, what would you like to say? Some last words of encouragement. Okay. Um, um, and this is in the, the front cover of the book. So if you buy it, you can have it, but I'm going to tell it to you. And I like to finish all my talks and my groups with this. So short-term thinkers plant gardens. Long-term thinkers plant trees. Eternity-minded thinkers plant themselves 
in the souls of others. And, um, you know, I like to end with Melissa because that's, that's my goal. You know, my goal as a man of, of God is, you know, I heard a woman say that when she left the room, she would want people to sniff and say, you know, uh, God was here. Um, I'm not trying to be anyone's God. I'm not trying to, you know, force myself on anyone, but, you know, people remember more, not what, not, not what you said, but how you made them feel. So what I want to leave with your audience is I hope that I left, left them feeling some type of way. Um, and that's my, my goal and my mission with everywhere that I go, speak and interact with people. Well, that's beautiful, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really, really loved it. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.